0: Uh, we need the fibula and I'll tell you why we made it such a weird title uh, this morning and the bear with me here got some a ragged throat we're working through so if I have to pause and pop in another lozenger that's what's going on uh, 19 years ago to, uh, this year I had an operation uh, in which I uh, the doctors took out both of my fibulas the more medical term is the skinny leg bone uh, next to the bigger leg bone the tibia they removed my fibulas and, and actually grafted them into my hipulas because the, the, my hips had no blood flowing to them and they were dying. So the, they attached part of the fibula with some blood vessels on it into the hip to get the blood flowing there again. A crazy operation. But back then, uh, many doctors saw fibulas like a spare part in a swing set uh, where you could just, you know, you, you had an extra one in case one got a pole, got, an extra pole in case uh, one of the poles got damaged in shipping. But, but years later, I was seeing a, a, one of my friends, Mark, a, a medical specialist, and he was working on me, and he's working on my legs, and he's like, wait a second, where is your fibula? And I said, well, they, they took them out. He said, they took them what? They can't take, that Mark was not happy about that whatsoever. We, we've learned all the things that the fibula does. Uh, it helps support the, uh, the ankle, the lower leg muscles. It helps you balance. So if you ever see me just like spontaneously topple over, you'll know why. I don't have no fibula. Uh, but I, 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 I what we see here, is that God actually, even when we don't always understand what that body part is for, God has brilliantly and intricately designed every part of the body for a purpose, for a reason. We need each part of the body. And, and we see when one part is missing... Uh, Things can really go wrong. I had a friend recently um, potentially have have an issue with their heart, a congenital heart defect. And they were told that um, in in the valve, uh, in one of our valves in our heart, we're supposed to have uh, three cuspids, a tricuspid valve with three little cuspids that allow the blood to flow. And, and they potentially only have a bicuspid valve, which means there's only two cuspids uh, there. And if you are missing only one little cuspid on one little valve, that could lead to heart failure. Every single little part of the body matters. We also see that if one part is unhealthy, it can affect the whole body. Shaquille O'Neal was a basketball player, seven foot one, 325 pounds, and a shoe size of 22 Right, I think that's the size of Lucy's crib. (laughs) Out for the whole season with a toe injury. You think about that. You're the biggest basketball player on the planet, and you can't play because one of your little piggies went to market. Like, you think about the way that every little part. We have one little spot of cancer, and it could bring down the entire body. We need every. We think about the analogy there the body of Christ. We need every member of the body of Christ connected, healthy, and growing. And you think about you, if you as, as Tyann and Evan declared today, if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you're one of his disciples, you are a member of the body of Christ. And not just a member, but a vital one. And maybe you feel like uh, one of my fibulas, circa 2004, where you're not sure how you fit in, you're not sure if you're needed, but the reality is So we need each member of the body of Christ. We need to be a unified body that is healthy, that's connected, and that's growing. But here's the rub. Unity in the body of Christ, that's not gravity. We don't naturally just walk around in one big group hug. And we have today. We have missing body parts. This is actually a massive problem in the church today of a disengagement. Church involvement continues to be on the decline for those who would consider themselves a part of the body. That more than ever, many are, are identified as, a, we call a, a CEO, a Christmas and Easter only, uh, people who come twice a year for the big one. We also see more, now more than one in four who would attend church are what we call church hoppers, people who go from one church for a little bit and then do another church for a little bit and kind of make the rounds. We call it the sheep shuffle, Right, which I think would be a good dance at a, at a wedding, right? Slide to the left, meh, <laughs> meh. <laughs> 20 years ago, frequent church attendance meant that you were involved maybe an average of one to two times a week with the body, that uh, you were engaged, serving each other, part of community together. Pre-pandemic, a frequent church attender was down to twice a month, and now a frequent church attender means somebody who attends one, a, a church event one time A month, and I've often found, and I say these things not with love and grace, but oftentimes it's the very people who need to step into community that are the ones that are running and hiding. And these are Satan's tactics. He makes us hide when we're maybe we're going through an internal struggle, or we're having marital issues, or, or or some kind of challenge or sin issue, instead of pressing into the body for health and growth. We actually remove ourselves into isolation and fear and, and, and hide in our, our shame and our guilt. We also have unhealthy parts of the body. Many that are not growing in their faith that become stagnant or, or are caught in a sinful behavior or, or attitude. And just like our physical body, like we're not an island. And this grows and spreads and it can lead to division not just in our homes but in our churches. And when we're not a healthy body, we fail to be the representatives of Jesus, the salt and light of Christ to the earth that we've been called to be. But what we want to see this morning, the encouragement in Ephesians, is that despite these challenges, we have a sure hope and a living Savior, a Savior who can connect us, a Savior who can heal us, and a Savior who can grow us.
1: We've been
0: looking at the book of Ephesians together We've been, we entitled the series, because I think this is kind of central to what Paul is trying to communicate, being together in Christ. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is showing us God's eternal plan of bringing all things together under the reign of Jesus. And in chapters 1 through 3, we saw who we are in Christ. How God is is bringing all things together through this newly birthed, resurrected people, his church, the new humanity. And then we saw the, the, the hinge point last week. Therefore, if this is who we are in Christ, therefore, the back half of the book is how we should then live. If this is who we now are in Christ, this is how we should live as we live out the new humanity of Christ's visible body here on earth. Now, last week, uh, Ross showed us the high calling of the unity of the body of Christ, including the introvert and people-haters like Ross confessed that he is. Great hire for a pastor. Good. But this week, we're going to see how that unity is achieved. And what's interesting, the paradox here from Paul is that the way that we find unity in the body is actually through the diversity of the gifts. ...that God has given us. Now, unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we all look the same... ...start to dress the same... ...start to speak the same. Right? Some Like one of the creepy sci-fi movies... ...where they all have the gray onesies... ...doing like a zombie march. That's not what we're called to. There is unity in diversity. That in the body of Christ... ...we have different personalities... ...different skill sets... ...different life experiences... ...different realms of influence... And what Paul wants to show us this morning is that our diversity as a church is for a purpose. And it can be used for one unifying, beautiful, Christ-exalting purpose. So let's look at this together. First of all, we want to see the, the goal. The goal is maturity. And then we'll look at see how the, the path, what's the path to that maturity. I want to give props to Pastor Daryl Dash, uh helped with some of my outline here this morning. Now, why do we exist as a church? What are we here for? There are a lot of conceptions and misconceptions of what a church is. Uh, Colin Smith pointed out a couple of those in, in some analogies. Uh, some, some people see the church as a gas station, where you're here to fill up your spiritual tank when you're running on low. So I just need a pick-me-up. I need a good, encouraging sermon, some uplifting songs, and then I go back out and it will keep me running for six days or however long I can go until I need another spiritual fill-up. Some see church as a movie theater. That we're like the Orca Theater with, with uh, less comfortable seating. That, that, that it's an entertainment, an escape from, the, the, from the, the cares of life. Where we can just come, feel good about ourselves for a moment, and then leave smiling with popcorn in our teeth. Some see church as a drugstore. Where we come and fill our prescription to deal with the pain, and, or at least to be able to numb the pain. And some see churches as Walmart, right, a big box store where we have the best products available and it's safe and clean for the whole family, good programs for kids, a one-stop spiritual shop at low, low prices. And we don't charge admission, so that's good. But the good news is what God tells us in his word, what what the picture of the church should be. In Ephesians chapter 4, he paints this picture. And I want to pick it up in the middle of the passage where he speaks to this picture. He says that our job as a church, we're here to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. What we see here, and we'll break down what he's exactly saying in, in in this passage, but the picture that I see that Paul paints for us in Ephesians 4 is the church is a body. Just like we started to talk about in the introduction. The body of Christ in which every member of that body is equipped, given the tools, to help the rest of the body grow. So we are a body, one unified body, where every member of that body is being given the equipment to be able to help the rest of that body grow. Now what is the goal? Why are we what, growing into what? What's the end game here? Well, just like with the human body, what's, what's the goal? It's to be fully grown and mature, right? So again, excuses to put my, my daughter on the screen. Uh, our nine-month-old Lucy, uh, we, our goal wasn't just to give birth to her. Now, that was a good goal, right? A necessary step one, but that was only step one. Our goal is ultimately to raise Lucy to be a a mature adult who can go out on her own, potentially reproduce others of um, other people, and to care for other people around her. Now, right now, she is very far from that, right? We're still working on a lot of things. She's working on feeding herself. She's still at the point where if you put one of those little puffs in her mouth, like she smiles, but then it just falls back out. You're like, well, we've got a little ways to go. She's learning to crawl, learning not to touch fire, right? She's learning how to, she's starting to finally stand on her own, although she's still doing a lot of wobbling, we're concerned that maybe she's missing her fibulas as well, I hope that's not genetic, but what's the goal, right? The goal is maturity, to become a a full-grown adult, and Paul says here that that's the goal for us as well, to become mature, and he said, what's that measure? It's Christ himself. Maturity as a believer is to look like Jesus in the way that we live, but... Notice here that Paul is not just talking about individual maturity. This isn't just project self. He's talking about maturing as a body. Look at the language he uses, that we're to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity. Let us grow into likeness, Paul says. Because here's the problem. We don't want to have disproportionate growth. If we have some parts of the body maturing, but not others, we're going to have problems, just like my physical body. If some of my bo- my, as a baby, if some of my body parts started growing and becoming an adult, but the other ones don't and stay in that same place, I'm going to have some problems, right? Now, what would an adult look like if they still had the proportions of a baby? Well, the Internet's here, so we don't have to wander any longer, right? That's disturbing. So how do we get to this type of maturity together? Let's see what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and get that guy off the screen. First of all, the path to maturity is given, through gifts that Christ has given us, three gifts that we want to zero in on in this passage. The first one are gifts from our ascended head, gifts from our ascended head. Now in the ancient world, when a king won a battle, he would plunder the enemy and he would share his spoils of victory with his people. Right, his loyal, royal subjects. And, and, and the people would share in the victory of the king, his, his, um, his, his subjects. And Paul is saying that this is what happened through King Jesus. Look at verse 7. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. He's quoting Psalm 68. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Now, a lot of things can be said in this passage to look at, but here's what I want to draw out. At the cross and out of the empty tomb, Jesus once and for all defeated the enemies of sin, death, and Satan that he won the victory and ascended to the place of royal authority at the right hand of the Father. And this victorious king now shares his plunder with his loyal royal subjects. That grace was given, verse 7 says, to each of us according to Christ's gifts. Now what's important to see here in context This grace that it says he gave us, not talking about by grace we've been saved through faith, yes and amen. But here the context of the grace that he's giving us is the grace to be able to serve one another as a spiritual family. And this is such an encouragement to me, that our maturity as a body does not depend on us alone, but on the victorious king. Like, we have a 10-year vision plan here as a church, and I love our vision. I geek out about vision planning and kind of trying to spread that and walk into that. We have plans. We got programs. We got money. We got a sweet new hot tub baptismal thing, right? We got a lot of stuff, but praise the good Lord that our success as a body doesn't rely on us and our plans and our programs, amen, that, that, that we would be up the creek without a paddle in that case. Jesus won the victory, not us. And he paved the path to maturity. And because he rules now as the most powerful being in the universe, we can have all confidence that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's his grace. It's a gift that he's given to us freely to those who choose to be his royal, loyal subjects so this can give us confidence that our path to maturity to being like Jesus together that's a secure path that we know the outcome because of Christ and what he's accomplished alone now what are those gifts what has he given us a second, The second thing we want to look at here is the gifts of leadership of the body paul unpacks specifically some of what the risen Jesus has given us look at verse 11 and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers. Now notice here, he, he identifies some leadership gifts in the body. Well, what we want to draw out from this, is and you look at this list, okay? So I'm going to use a construction analogy because that's kind of what Paul, he talks about building up the body, edifying, edifices the body. So look at, first of all, apostles. The word apostles means messengers. And these were specifically those who had been with Jesus that he sent out So And then that's why Paul says, I was an apostle but an untimely one, because he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So these were ones that were to go out, and and also the prophets, the forth tellers of God's word. And in chapter 2, Paul calls these foundation layers. And their job was to lay out the blueprint of the church, to go into the world and begin this work of spreading the good news of King Jesus and what his church would look like. And then the next thing he points to is evangelists. That's one who brings forth the good tidings of the good news. And they were to go out with the gospel to places that had not yet been and to start to plant churches and lay the foundations of these new churches that would grow. And then the final gift that he gives in leadership is pastors, which means shepherds, and teachers, which means teachers. Right? Some say this is two different roles. Some say it's the same role. Uh, either way... The job of pastors and, or teachers was to help build up those new foundations that had been laid, to develop, shepherd, help grow, and build the body of Christ. Now, there's been a lot of suspicion with church leadership, especially recently. And some of that's just our own rebellious nature as we push back against authority, and some of that's been warranted. There's been a lot of sinful leadership in the church that has done deep damage with their positions of authority and responsibility that are abused. But Paul says here, leaders are not only good, they are a gift from Christ and necessary for the maturity of the body. And I really just want to underline here that this passage says that I, Pastor Teacher Justin, am a gift to you. So I just kind of want to humbly say, Merry Christmas. Like just the messenger. No kidding. I'll repent of that later. But notice the kind of leaders that these are. In, in the business world, like what, 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 kind, what are we looking for with leaders? We're looking for visionaries. We're looking for people with charisma and a portfolio of success and having the right degree, dashing good looks. They're tall. Now, luckily, I'm all those things too, right? But notice here. These are all people defined not by their own qualifications, but by the message that they bring. Notice it's messengers and tellers, those who bring tidings, those who teach the truth. And and the good news here, I love how Tim Keller brings this out of what leadership in the church should look like. He says, my dear friends, most churches make the mistake of selecting as leaders the confident, the competent, and the successful Well, what does Jesus' upside-down kingdom look like? He says, but what you most need in a leader is someone who has been broken by the knowledge of his or her sin, and even greater knowledge of Jesus' costly grace. The the job of a leader is to first, on their own, come open and empty-handed to their Savior, the foot of the cross, acknowledging their sin and inability to save themselves, let alone somebody else, and receive to be filled by the grace of God through the finished work and life of Jesus, and then to simply take that message of Christ to the body and to the world. That's the leader that Jesus is looking for. But then finally, the last gift we see here is the gift of every body part working together Now, this is crucial. The ascended Christ has given us gifts of leadership, but leadership to do what? Notice here, this is important. He gave these gifts of leadership, apostles, pastors, teachers, to do what? It says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. The pastor is not as we go back to the earlier analogy, is not a pharmacist, and I just grabbed this picture off the internet at random. <laughs> he was so cute at that age. Not just a pharmacist to, to peddle drugs, right? Not just a Walmart greeter, although I think in another life that would have been a perfect job that I would have loved. Not just a gas station attendant to fill up the spiritual tank, and not just a, a movie theater attendant to make sure that we're enjoying the show on a Sunday morning. Pastors and teachers, again, if we're going to go with that construction analogy, we're more like a foreman, right? I like to think of myself as this kind of a foreman. But our job is to, actually this is the kind of foreman, so to to equip the saints for the work, right? Now, as a foreman, a foreman by definition is someone who supervises and directs other workers. So notice this, a bad foreman does all the work. Have you ever worked under someone like that? They're like, no, you got to do like, you got to actually, no, get out of the way. I'll do it. And then that foreman's doing everything, and all the workers are watching the foreman work. But on the same hand, or on the other hand, a bad foreman is also one who does none of the work. right? Jill's talked about this at the at hosp- not this hospital, the other hospital she's worked at. Or you might have someone in charge, like a nurse that oversees everybody else, and they're barking out orders, making demands of all the nurses under them, but not lifting a finger to help. You're not going to win any popularity contests doing that either. But a good foreman is one who helps equip the team, the other members of the crew, to be able to shine in their roles. That's going to make a good team to build the building. So what does that look like? Well, that foreman lays out the blueprint. Tells the team, here's what the building, here's what the end product is going to look like so that we're all moving toward the same goal that we all know what we're supposed to be doing and what direction. They also show, uh, they, they teach the crew how to work. This is how you swing the hammer. This is how you jack the hammer, right? And then letting the crew swing the hammer and jack the hammer. This is how I would jack hammer. They also will encourage the crew, whenever they're down or whenever they maybe need some encouragement or lovingly correct, right? All the, all the foremen I've ever known are very, very gentle or very good with that. The pastor's job isn't just to do all the work, right? So I don't look at Daniel up here playing guitar and go, no, Daniel, you're supposed to, just give me the guitar, right? I'll do it. I can sing way better than Daniel anyway. <laughs> <laughs> It's also not to do none of the work. Right? I'm part of the body too. So I'm not just telling everybody else what to do, but not being a part of serving the body myself. But our job is to equip the body to do the work. So that also involves laying out the blueprint. What's the blueprint? Well, it's God's word. It's what Jesus taught. He showed us how to live the life of a disciple of Jesus, how to build his church. We put forward the goal that we should all be striving to as a body. We help teach the church, equip them to do work, how to, how to read the word for ourselves, how to pray, how to serve one another, how to grow in likeness, and to encourage the body when they're brokenhearted, when they're downtrodden, how to lovingly correct a sheep who's gone stray or is unhealthy. Now, we call, it says here that we serve one another, that we build each other up. But what does that mean? Like where, are moving toward what? Well, verse 13 tells us until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now what is that? What, what, let's break that down. What, what are they talking about? Where are we heading? So first of all, unity in the faith. That we would be helping each other trust Jesus that we would be helping one another value him above all else, trust him above all other false idols and false saviors. And we'd also be moving toward knowledge of God's Son, not just information about Jesus, but an actual intimate relationship with the person of Jesus himself. And then finally, growing into maturity. And how do we measure that? He says, by Christ's fullness, that we'd be helping one another become more and more like Jesus in every area of our lives. And then I move to verse 14. This is, when we are moving in this direction, here's what this helps us avoid. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. He says, we'll no longer be little children. Now, the Bible talks about childlike faith. What it's talking about here is an immaturity. And that's the point. And the immature will be blown around by all sorts of doctrines and and deceit. Now, as as I was sitting with this passage this week, you know, I was praying, Lord, how have I been deceived? Because it's easy to read something like that and go, oh, I'd never be deceived, right? It's like Peter, Lord, I'll never deny you. And then before you know it, he's freaking out when a servant girl's asking him if he's a follower of Jesus. Now, the, the Holy Spirit will be faithful. He'll be faithful to show us areas that maybe we are being deceived in. But how does he do that? Here's the thing. How do I see my own blind spots? By definition, I can't, right? And so this is where the diverse body of Christ comes in. We need to help each other. This is verse 15. But speaking the truth, the truth of the gospel, to each other in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. This is our job as a body. That we come along to each other and speak the good news, lovingly pointing out sin, but even more lovingly pointing each other back to the Savior and the good news of what we have in Him. What we see here, Paul clearly teaching, the only path to maturity, the only way we're going to grow is through the unity as a body. If I've summarized this passage, I'd say it's Christ's gifts that are given through Christ's leaders to equip Christ's body. And it's so important here. He started by saying in verse 7, the grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us are given the grace of these gifts from Jesus. That each one of us have an important part to play in the body. And maybe you feel like a fibula this morning or a cuspid where you feel little insignificant. You're not sure how you fit in, how you would be able to offer anything to anybody. But I love what Brian Chapel says, He says, if you, and he's talking to pastors and teachers, if you try to do it all, and he doesn't pull punches, you will die, and the ministry will too. And too often we see this in the body. Whether there's a pastor or a couple of leaders who are trying to do everything, that leads to nothing but burnout and exhaustion. And it inhibits the rest of the body from growing as they're intended to grow. Because the reality is, if that's how we roll, then we'll be limited by what I can do or what our elders can do. We need every member doing their part. I'm limited. I'm limited by my own personality, by my own gifts and my skills, right? Like I watch a bold evangelist, and I'm like, how in the world do they do that? Like as a people pleaser, as they're just going around telling people about Jesus. I'm like, but what if they don't like you? I have a certain like. Even in our staff, like there's like Ross loves budget season. He's a weirdo. I hate budget. Right? Thank God for us. I'm limited by my own sphere of influence and relationships. Like I don't have the influence with your coworkers like you do, your neighbors like you do, certainly your own family like you do. I can't relate to everybody. This might be a shock to you, but I'm not a man's man. Right? So like it's hard for me to talk to guys. They want to talk about hunting and everybody mocks me because I own a Prius and not a pickup like a real Alaskan, right? Like, it's a, I love the fact that we've got other man's men in the body that can relate to one another as I'm over reading a book with my, my, my tea, right? I'm also limited by time and space. We're looking into cloning, but so far we haven't figured that out. I can only do so much, but we, we are hundreds, and we, as the body of Christ, we can go out into the community and change the world in the name of Jesus. We have people in our body like Maggie Peterson. She helps lead our prayer ministry here. And you, you call Maggie with a prayer request. Uh, certain empathetic listeners like Maggie, like if you're telling her your story, she somehow cares about your story more than you do. It's incredible. We have people like Tanya, who is cooking our food on, on Wednesday nights and been doing an amazing job. You do not want me cooking your food for you on Wednesday night. It will kill you. We have kids teachers like Miss Stephanie next door. Right, who the kids just adore. Many of them have been filling out adoption paper for her and stuff like that. We have bleeding hearts, like my friend Seth. Where's Seth? Oh, he's, he's, he's with one of his neighbors helping him, them fix their car and telling them about Jesus. We have, we have numbers people, like Brad Zubek, who's able to give us financial wisdom and can help geek over the spreadsheets and budgets with Ross. We have greeters like Mary Jean, who's faithfully out there saying hello to the body of Christ week in, week out. It can be 20 below. She's bundled up, her two eyes like peeping out of her scarf, still welcoming people in with a smile on her face, and she cannot feel her fingers. We have bold evangelists like Ronna Martin. Down at the Diamond M Ranch, if somebody comes there in the crazy summer, everybody's there for fishing, she is going to tell them about her Lord and Savior. We are the body of Christ. So let me ask you a couple questions in closing. Are you a missing body part? It is so easy to get distracted by this world. And not even like bad things, but just distracting things. The comforts and the concerns of this world. Maybe the, cha- the real, legit challenges that we're facing in our lives. But these things can take us off mission. And what Jesus has called us to do, to make disciples. To help the body grow. And this looks like just simply showing up. Now please hear me in this. I am not talking about legalistic church attendance, checking some box to feel good or think that that pleases God alone. What I'm talking about is being present with the body of Christ. This is the blueprint for the church and the good of the world. Like There is no plan B. So I want you to just kind of like sneakily glance at somebody else here in, in, the, in the room. You don't have to make eye contact. You don't have to be weird, but... Just kind of get somebody else's pick. Maybe you don't even know the person, but you kind of see someone out of the corner of your eye. And I want you to think about this. Can you imagine being as concerned about that person's growth as your own growth? As invested in, in, in who they are and who they're becoming in Christ as you are in yourself. The church is a body. It's a family. And just like I'm, as, I'm called to be as invested in my wife's growth, in my daughter's growth as my own, that's what we should be as the family of God, as the body of Christ. The reality is we need each other. The gifts that Christ has given to each of us, we need to use those for each other. And so my simple call is don't deprive the body. You've been given gifts Not to hoard for yourself, but to use to love other people. Our body parts don't get together for one hour a week. Like my colon's not like, hey, spleen, I'll see you next week, right? We are connected 24-7 to grow. And I'm not talking about that we're some weird cult where we all have to move in together. But what I am saying is that this does look like living life together as the body of Christ. Second question is, are you an unhealthy body part? Maybe you are one that's here every time the doors are open, but, it, but you're not healthy. That, that you're not loving the people around you. That maybe you have an unconfessed sin that's really hampering your growth. Maybe you're holding a grudge against another member of the body of Christ that's going to cause division. Maybe you're someone who's just been taking and you have not been giving. You have not been growing, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. The reality is that no person is an island. And just like a a cancerous tumor will affect the whole body, the call here is don't harm the body. But but here's the grace in that. We need to step into the body for our own healing and growth. Like This is the very place where we're going to find the grace of God to grow us as we freely confess our sin and find forgiveness, find healing. We speak the gospel truths to one another because ultimately what this passage shows is, is that we need Jesus. I love the last verse. He shows this reality, verse 16. From him, that's Christ, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. We are called to build the body of Christ together. But notice here, it's Christ alone that can give us the growth. It's the lifeblood of Jesus coursing through the veins of of our body that we can have the vitality to do the good work of building up his body. Unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. We cannot do this without you. We need the fibula. You are a gift from the ascended Jesus. And that's not just a, a nice sentimental feeling. That's biblical truth. Cal Ripken, Jr., Uh, was shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, he he set the baseball record for the most consecutive games played. Cal Rifkin played 2,632 straight games without taking a single day off. That's 17 seasons of 162 games per season. That's consistency. And they called him, because of that, they called him the Iron Man. Now, his superpower, he, Cal Ripken wasn't an amazing home run hitter. He wasn't super fast. Like, he was a white boy playing shortstop. But, but here was the superpower he had was his consistency. And I love what, what he was quoted to say. He said, I'd, I'd much rather be referred to not as an individually great player or someone who tore up the record books, but someone who came to the ballpark and said, okay, I'm here. I want to play. What can I do to help us? win today what can i do to help us win today and what did he do he showed up he stayed present and he stayed healthy he kept his body healthy for the good of the people around him so my question to us this morning for each of us to reflect on is will we show up and will we stay healthy for the glory of our god for the good of the body and for our own growth would you pray with me father god i pray for those listening this morning, your Holy Spirit's going to convict as you will. I pray that if there's somebody here who, who needed to hear the word to be, to be more plugged into the body, maybe they've been distracted or absent or hiding, Lord, that today might be the day to step into the body for their own growth and benefit and also for the benefit of those around them. I pray for those who, who might not be experiencing a, a season of spiritual health. Lord, the good news here. It's not that we step into the body because we're perfect and have all these awesome things and of our own to offer, but we step in confessing our sins, receiving the gift of forgiveness through the sacrificial death of Jesus and the resurrection that gave us new life as we celebrated with Tyann and Evan this morning. That same hope is available to us. So may we come to Jesus and find health and find the gift of the body of Christ that we can love each other with the gifts that you've given us and through that be a testimony to a lost and dying world that so desperately needs to see what healthy relationship looks like. And Father, would you lead and guide each member of the body for your glory and for the good of one another and for the testimony to our community? Father, we pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.